following audio is a sermon from our Advent Sermon Series. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been, we now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Um, Like Sam said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the residents over um, primarily on the Davenport side. Uh, My family and I have been attending Sacred City since August. Uh, We moved from Columbia, Missouri. It's, uh, It's interesting to be in a place where so many people are so interested in how you got to where you are, particularly with the residency, because ours has been a very nomadic journey. Um, I met my wife about four years ago at the University of Iowa, felt the call to ministry, and so right after we graduated and got married, God called us to move out to South Carolina to start seminary. Um, Really had a, a period of formation out there and then called us a little bit closer, uh, closer to family, just really gave us a heart for our family, um, all of whom were stationed around here since we grew up more or less in the Quad City area, and just progressively God has been drawing us closer and closer, refining our vision for ministry, and really giving us a heart for a gospel-centered missional church, and to love and serve our family, And we were uh, blessed to find Sacred City and blessed to have this opportunity to serve you all. Um, I just wanted to say I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, to step in for Sam while he's still recovering. And just before I jump in, um, I'd like to pray for us, then we can get started. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the people here. Um, I ask that you remain present in our lives, that you show us what it looks like to be truly and deeply joyful, not in the works of our hands, but in the works of you and your Son. Uh, I just ask that you guide me to preach and teach this morning in such a way 
as you are exalted above all things. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So this morning we're talking about joy. Joy has become a huge struggle in our society. In a lot of ways, it's like this moving target that's invisible that we are desperately trying to hit. We think finding joy, defining joy for ourselves will bring us satisfaction and delight in our lives. And the irony is that as one of the wealthiest nations in history, we are taught that our personal success is what will lead us to joy. Our public school system has shaped us to believe that we will be happy once we've arrived. And I know I grew up believing, and there's a good chance that many of you have too, that in order to find success and fulfillment, I had to get a good job, make good money, have the perfect family, support them well, and be distinguished from everybody around me. And it was only then that I would find success and I'd find joy. Growing up, I fell deep into that trap and I just heard the whisper of the culture saying, you'll have enough joy when you have that job, when you have that money, when you have that family. And when I didn't have those things easily, I felt like there was something wrong in my heart, something wrong with me. And so in my case, my depression rate spiked I berated myself, tormented myself for not having what I was told I was supposed to have to find joy. The question, why isn't this enough? When I'm pursuing everything that should make me happy, just tormented me. Through college, it was pre-med. And when that didn't work out, it was pre-law. And when that failed, it was pre-pharmacy. I was so desperately driven by my desire to find success and joy, define it for myself in the fear that I would never succeed, that I was miserable. And friends, this morning, this isn't hyperbole. We have all chased after an image of joy in our lives for something that we think will bring us that feeling of fulfillment. Specifically, um, I can think of a friend of mine who went into the trades, and right now, his deep struggle is work, because work is life. And so he doesn't have that kind of joy that he's supposed to have. He doesn't have that community. He's chasing desperately after this. And I can't speak for you this morning, but I know that the more we chase after our joy, the more it eludes us, the farther away from us it gets because you can't run fast enough to catch joy. It will always be a few steps ahead of you. And think about it this morning, if you will. When we find that little piece of success, we latch on with both hands. In a lot of ways, we're like an anaconda that will lock its jaws around its prey and squeeze the life out of it until it's good and dead, and then it moves on. As people, we brag about everything. When we feel joyful in the things of the world, we will boast in them. It's like we're clinging to this little trophy that argues against all of the failure and all of the frustration that we have experienced up to that point. We use it to try and compensate for our feelings of failure. Sorry, I'm a little dry this morning.
We hold up these little trophies in an attempt to mitigate that soul-crushing feeling of hopelessness that so much of society has ingrained in our hearts. And I know that those who boast in things of the world will boast until every drop of joy has been squeezed out of that idol. That good feeling of accomplishment, that urge to make others see how great we are and how much we have accomplished and to tell other people about what we have done and how awesome we are as we continue striving for our joy as far as it'll go. Have you ever noticed in your life that when that little piece of joy runs out, we immediately start seeking the next big thing to define our meaning? Why do we do this? Because boasting is the natural expression of joy. Why do our hearts do this? Because we are creatures created for worship. Our hearts reflect the things that we hold the most dear. The things that we hold most dear are the things that we're going to boast in, the things that bring us that joy and naturally that we want to share with the people around us because we want them to see that the thing we hold most dear is the most perfect and beautiful of all things. Our conversations are formed around whatever it is that brings us joy and whatever we think that we can seek to find joy. Our deepest desire is to find that one thing that'll bring ultimate meaning to our lives And when we seek it out and it gives us that little high, we latch on with both hands. But when it fades, we move on to the next thing and the next and the next. So I want to ask you all this morning, what of the world are you boasting in? Where does your heart go Monday through Saturday? I know for a lot of Christians, it's easy to wake up Monday morning to go to work to just live the regular rhythms of life and to be so exhausted by the end of the week that all you want to do is put your feet up, not leave the house, not talk to anybody, turn off your phone and just relax. We're so miserable so much of the time and then by the time we get to church Sunday morning, we might struggle to get up, we might struggle for the first four cups of coffee, we get in the car to go because we know that we should and once we get there, joy. Sometimes, a lot of times it's genuine, but sometimes it's, I'm supposed to be joyful, so I will be joyful. And then we leave, and it's right back to the grind, Monday through Saturday, until the next time, and the next time. How many people live this reality every week? Or to put it another way, if you're living this reality, what is your functional idol? What is that thing that you're latching on to? What is the one thing in your life that God is not allowed to take away from you? That accept, that thing where you say, I will love and worship God, I will give to the church, I will serve in the church, but if God takes my family, if God takes my health, he is not worthy of my worship. There's a big problem with this view. And I know... um, It's the kind of thing I was struggling with this week through this message. Um, Fortunately, I had been reading through Galatians in my personal studies and just really struggling with how should I explain joy? How have I chased after joy in the wrong ways? Finding those, those idols in my own life to repent of 
And I came across this passage in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The desires of our flesh are many of the things that result from our worldly journey to define and discover worldly joy for ourselves. Paul goes on in that passage to say, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As we seek to define joy for ourselves, and more importantly, as we fail time and time again to define joy for ourselves, our frustrations nine times out of 10 will lead to these things. We turn to them because they feel good in the moment, but we don't understand or don't want to acknowledge that these things sabotage true joy and cause lasting damage. Things like rampant sexuality, idolatry of the family, idolatry of your job, jealousy over the things that your neighbor has that you don't, often lead to things like self-medication, whether it's drinking too much to cope, or whether it's having way more coffee in a day than you should because you just have to keep up and you have to keep going with the pace of your job or other things like these, as Paul says. In some ways, Christian joy is similar to that of the world in specifically that we will boast in the things that make us joyful. But at the same time, it is completely different because instead of finding the joy in the things of the world, the way that our culture suggests that we do, we find joy in the person and the work of Jesus. In Romans 5 this morning, Paul starts, Verses one and two. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Therefore is another way that Paul uses probably one of his favorite phrases for this reason. That reason being, because we've been justified, because we've been made right with God by grace, through faith, we have peace with God, we have access to God, and we can rejoice, we can boast in the hope of the work that God is doing in our lives. Joy isn't just something that we can reach out and seize for ourselves. Joy is a gift of the gospel. Jesus already did the work for us. He hit that perfect mark by living a life that was close to the Father, living a life completely without sin. The word rejoice is also commonly translated as boast or exalt. What Paul is saying is that because we've been saved by the person and by the work of Jesus Christ, by the faith that we have been given in him, we have access to Jesus, we have access to his grace, And we can boast, we can brag about the certainty that we've been given this gift and that it won't be taken away. We boast in the certainty that our God is the most worthy to be worshiped 
and all creation. Instead of boasting in the things that bring temporary joy, we boast in that one thing, that one trinity that will bring lasting supernatural joy no matter what our circumstances are. Our boasting in Christ is unique because it's a gift that comes from the Spirit as the Spirit illuminates and magnifies the work that Christ has done and is doing and will do in our lives and points us ever increasingly to the giver of the gifts rather than the gifts themselves. Don't mishear me. We should appreciate the gifts that we are given by God. Those aren't bad things to receive, but we should recognize that we have received them. We haven't claimed them because we have a right to. We haven't reached out and worked hard enough and earned them from God, but God has given them to us so we could recognize that he's given them to us and so that we could glorify him for giving them to us. But many of us know this. So why are we so unhappy with the godly idea, the biblical definition of joy? Galatians 5, through 24 picks up where the fruit of the flesh left off. Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ, Paul is saying, have put to death the desires of the flesh through the working of the Spirit. Not through their own power, not through their own drive, but because they recognize that the work that the Spirit is doing in their lives and they respond to it. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a crucial fruit of the Spirit. Some say even the chief fruit of the Spirit because it acts as a kind of filter through which we're able to see and interact with the world and our circumstances. I like the analogy that the joy of the Spirit is kind of like a cheesecloth. So a cheesecloth, for anyone who doesn't know, is a piece of fabric that's very finely woven together. And so you can put, um, best example, if you're making a cauliflower pizza crust, after you boil the cauliflower, you put it all in there, you tie it all up, and you squeeze all of the moisture out. Kind of an odd analogy. But it fits. It's easy to say it's like a water filter where you just pour in the circumstances and out comes the pure water. But there's that element of pressure. There's the element of the Spirit of God working and putting pressure on our lives and squeezing so that all the junk, the fruit of the flesh, come out. So that the fruit of the Spirit and that that understanding that we are boasting in God remains. Because we still live in a broken and sinful world that throws its worst at us. The Spirit guides us and allows us to take that information and to strain it through that cheesecloth, through that heavenly filter. The junk that is strained out, the anxiety, the lust, the anger, the envy, the slander, the gossip, all of our fleshy responses to our circumstances are poured out, leaving the fruit of the Spirit that will nourish us. As we experience this joy, 
As we recognize this work in our lives, that is when we begin to boast in our circumstances. Romans 5, 3 through 5 reads, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we suffer, the Spirit puts our experiences and our struggles through that filter, straining out the responses of the flesh in our sickness and in our frustration and in our anger. And what's left tends to be that awareness that what God has done and what God is still doing in our lives is there. We can see it. We can understand. We can interact and say, I should boast in that. That is the greatest thing that I could hope for, even in struggling. Because turning to things of the world can't bring us joy. And things of the world can't get us through our suffering. It is only God, the power of God, who can turn our sorrow and our suffering into joy. The last part of the verse in Galatians reads, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us recognize that the joy that God is creating in our lives is there. No matter how hard it is to see it, and recognize that instead of suffering for the sake of suffering, we suffer for the opportunity to boast in our weakness and in God's strength. Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean that we don't feel pain. That is one of the most frustrating things when people say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't respond to it. It still hurts. It still frustrates you. It still should drive you to your knees in prayer as you recognize that you can't do it, but God can and God is and God will. If anything, as Christians, we feel pain and suffering more deeply because we feel the pain itself of our lives and we feel the pain and the presence of the sin in our lives that leads to our suffering. At the same time, we're able to recognize the work of God in our suffering. We're able to worship and glorify him because he has come, because he's brought us the themes of Advent, the peace, the hope, the love, and because he's promised that he's coming again to make all things new and set all things right for us. I tend to challenge things in my own heart. And one major thing I tend to struggle with habitually is how. How can I become more joyful? How can I boast in the Lord? There's some of the questions that I've wrestled with through my entire walk, and I think there's a good chance I'll continue struggling until the day I die. But the first step is to understand that rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 10 is a good passage to turn to if you're wondering, how do I get through? How do I struggle? How do I suffer well? 
where Paul is urging the church in Corinth not to accept Christ in vain, but to remember that as servants of God, we all live in both the sorrows and sufferings of the world and the hope and anticipation of the next. It's the the tension of the already and the not yet kingdom of God. Verse 10 reads, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. How can we have more joy? We remember first what Jesus has done for us through the gospel, that he achieved our ultimate joy through ultimate obedience and has reconciled us to him. Second, we recognize in our sufferings that God is still at work sanctifying us, drawing us near, putting us through that filter and increasing our awareness of his work in our day-to-day lives. So how do you know if your joy is in the Lord? You boast of what he's done for you. You are a missionary. The identity of our church is a missional, gospel-centered church because the ultimate joy that Jesus has given us is available to anyone who would believe in Jesus. It is crucial to who we are as Christians and who this church is to recognize our obligation to those around us who don't know Christ and our delight to point others to the work that Christ has done in our lives. But how can I boast well? If I'm supposed to boast in what the Lord is doing, how do I do it in a way that isn't sinful? Don't boast in the things you've been given. Well, sorry. Don't boast in the things themselves that you've been given. Boast in the Lord who has given them. But more important than what God has given you this morning, remember who God has given you. Romans 8, 38 through 39 reads, For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, do you understand how incredible that is this morning? More than understanding, do you feel how incredible that is this morning? There is nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As always, why? Fortunately, Paul addresses that in the end of our text today, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Maybe you don't feel that joy today. Maybe you struggle to see the grace in your, in your situation But again, I ask, do you understand what Paul is saying? 
Christ died for your unbelief and for your struggles with the things of the world and the things of the word. Christ died while we were his enemies, while we were far off to save us from the wrath of God. It's normal to struggle. And if you're struggling this morning, I'd invite you to reflect on the meaning of Advent. Advent looks back at the arrival of Emmanuel, of God with us. It looks back to the day when our God came down to be with us, and it looks forward at the same time to the day when he will return to restore all things to himself and complete the process of uniting us to him. If you don't feel like a joyful person, then I would encourage you to reflect on what it means that Jesus came down to us. It means that we can boast in our struggles because the God who spoke the world into existence overcame the grave. For the joy, Hebrews 12:2 says, that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. If he has overcome death and united us to him, then he can and will overcome the struggles of your present situation, whatever they are, through the triumphs and successes to show you that there's a true and better source of joy in your life. It's not found in the things that we chase after. It's not found in the things that we try and grasp for ourselves, for a fleeting sip of worldly joy, but rather in the river of living waters that has been poured out to satisfy our every need and show us the faithfulness and the worthiness of the God whom we worship. Your victory has come through God's victory in and through your life for your good and for God's glory. As you come to understand these things, your heart will grow. You'll recognize areas of your life where you aren't boasting where you could be. You'll recognize the need to worship God more fully. And your worship will increase your walk with God will increase as you intentionally try, like Paul in Galatians says, to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you're still struggling this morning, I would invite you to reflect on the meaning of communion. Looking back to the covenant made to us, for us, and through us, through the person of Jesus, the body and blood, the bread, the body of Christ broken for us, and the blood poured out for us to be reconciled, to be united with God, and to find our ultimate joy in him. Not so that we continue chasing after the joy of this world without consequence, but so that we continue to seek God and we continue to seek him with open hands for the gift that he has given us and recognize the work that he's doing in our lives. The king of the universe has done a miraculous work in each of your lives. If you're a believer, by saving you and bringing you to this place. If you're questioning, if you're seeking, then he's brought you to a place where people want to come alongside you and answer those questions and and walk through life with you. 
He has granted us faith because of his love and because of his desire to give us that, that understanding to recognize that this is great, but there's so much more. We've been granted peace by his love. We've been given eyes that have been opened to see this work in our lives, to recognize what it truly is, what it truly has done, and what it could truly be moving forward. And it helps us to see the work that we could never do, that we continually fail to do in every moment of our lives, but that we don't have to because it is finished. Because he is working in those areas to bring us closer, to draw us closer to him and show us and help us realize that he is a good and gracious God and that our joy can be made complete in him. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the work you've done in this place. Um, I'm thankful for the work that you've done outside of this place, laying the groundwork for us to come together. And as we seek your table this morning, Father, I ask that you continue to be with us, that you show us, that you highlight either the areas of your life where we are failing to boast in you, and so we aren't experiencing joy, or the areas where we can see you working and increase our joy and multiply our boasting in you for who you are and what you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.